I finally got a Photoshop tutorial out today, which was rare these days. What about you? Nice. You got a Photoshop tutorial out today. I I was shooting all day and the Philadelphia Parking Authority, the PPA, the hated, hated PPA got me on like a stupid technicality. The sign said it was three hours of parking, but only for a certain number of hours during the day, like a 4 to 10 p.m. kind of thing. Uh, and uh, I, I assumed it was three hours. I didn't look at my ticket. And when the the guy that was helping me today went back out to my car to fill the the meter again or swipe the card on the meter, there was a $36 parking ticket in my uh, in my windshield. Mm. So when you get a $36 parking ticket, you just leave the ticket in the windshield and you say, you know what, I'm not filling the meter for the rest of the day because I just paid for a day's worth of parking plus a little. So the... Uh, the much beloved Philadelphia Parking Authority here in Philadelphia got me good today. But it's better than uh, one time my parents and I went down to the city and uh, I was sort of taking them out to this place that was, I thought was this pretty decent burger joint. And uh, they parked on the street that I wasn't too terribly familiar with. We got out, we went, had dinner, came back, and there was a $300 parking oh. ticket in their windshield because in Philadelphia they have these tiny little, I mean, four inch by four inch squares on the street signs indicating that it's a handicapped parking spot where they deem a handicapped parking spot as necessary. It was nighttime, we didn't see it, and it's a $303 fine or something insane like that uh, for taking an empty handicapped parking spot. So that was fun. Sounds but, sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah, so I guess welcome to the third episode of We Geeks Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, one of the best website design tools and website management systems available uh, this side of the internet and today anywhere. And uh, as, as I always say, if you're on the internet today, you certainly have heard of Squarespace. They're all over the place. They have uh, the stinking Super Bowl ad uh, this year and last, actually, uh, for that matter. So huge company, great stuff, and they're huge with good reason. I mean, how are you use Squarespace for all kinds of stuff. We use it for the We Geeks podcast website, we for crying out do. loud. We do, and if you haven't been to the We Geeks podcast website lately, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, I've completely, well, sort of completely redesigned it. I added some more color, I added some more buttons on the side, and like you said, it's unbelievably easy to use on Squarespace. Everything's kind of, you know, click here, add this, do that. You know, it's it's quite fan yeah, fancy. And it's, and it's yeah, it's super inexpensive. It's like eight bucks a month if you buy it a year. It comes with a free domain. Awesome, right? Um, and what else? There's a a discount code, you get a right? For listening, ten percent discount if you use the coupon We Geeks at checkout, which is pretty decent. So it's eight bucks a month. You get ten percent off. How can you beat that? Yeah, and at the very least, you get a fourteen day free trial. Don't have to enter a credit card. Nothing like that. It's at the very least, if you have any sort of web presence, it's worth checking out just for that sake alone. You don't need to assign a domain name to it or anything like that. They give you a temporary domain name uh, so you can check it out. You can even send other people to the site to check it out. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, so use the promo code WeGeeks. Totally. And, uh, and you'll get lots of good stuff. So with all that out of the way, the geek design and photo news of the week. Uh, first and foremost, Howard, I don't know if you saw it. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of his stuff in general. He's that really hard-nosed, arrogant, northeasterner, um, I know he's like whatever from North Jersey, New York, but he really comes across. He conveys the spirit of the arrogance and uh, lack of personableness uh, that you find all over the place in the Northeast. Um, and there's something that's just kind of endearing and funny about it. Uh, he does these sort of you know great short YouTube videos all the time. But this past Monday, he did one about sort of the Monday blues and that whole oh it's Monday I hate myself and post the obligatory Monday sucks you know meme on Facebook and get 50 likes and bemoan this idea of Monday. And he basically created this video. Um, you got to go check it out. It's pretty sweet. And he just for a minute and 40 seconds, he just decries this like just shut up and stop complaining do your work, love your work, you know, that whole own your work, crush it kind of like a Gary Vaynerchuk himself can do kind of mentality. Um, and he's so right about it because if you run your own business, just freaking get up in the morning, Monday, Tuesday, you know, right up through the weekend, do what you love, do it over and over and over again uh, because today's the first day of the rest of your life, uh, essentially. Um, and I don't know about you, Howard, but it drives me crazy. I hate it. 
when I see people, you know, oh, Monday, can't wait till this is over. Oh, Tuesday, tomorrow's hump day. Hey, hump day is here. Only one more day until Friday. Oh, tomorrow's Friday. Yes. You know, Friday's here. Yay. You know, and it's the same thing over and over and over again. You know, I can kind of understand that because I've been in the situation where work just has me down, whether it was when I was working for myself or working for another company. But you got to try and remind yourself of why you're doing it and what you're doing it for. And at the end of the day, you're getting paid, hopefully. And if you're really that miserable, first of all, find something else to do. (laughs) And second of all, at least try to make your situation a little bit better. Make jokes, put on some upbeat music. And like he said, just shut up and do your work because we're all working. All of us, or most of us hate our jobs from time to time. But it's a job. It pays the bills. It allows us to buy things that we really want. And if you just hate what you do, why are you even doing it? Do something else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's right. You live one life kind of thing. Uh, so get up and do something else. I understand some people you're in a situation, but by all means, like stop complaining, stop whining. Nobody wants to hear it and nobody can do anything about it. So just stop. Um, and here and we it's are crazy because. Right. About yeah, people who are whining. We're complaining. Right. We're complaining about <laughs> people who are complaining. Uh, but what's cool about the video is it, it's short and sweet, gets right to the point, and he sort of implores people to like it, watch it, share it, all that good stuff. And his videos on Facebook are getting like, I don't know, 30 to 80,000 hits, depending on what they are. Well, now like seven, maybe 7,000 to 80,000 hits, depending on where they are. They really run the gamut. 7,000 to 80,000? So that's a big range. Yeah, well, but this video has been watched over 700,000 times. In fact, it's right up near 800,000 times, and he just put it up on Monday. We're here recording this episode on Thursday, so from Monday to today, it's gotten 800,000 hits. It's been shared like 9,000 times, Um, so it's obviously something that people are – it resonates with the community a little bit, Um, and certainly the kind of people that Gary Vaynerchuk attracts, the people who are just like, do your thing, rock it, kill it, go for it. Um, really cool video. You can check out uh, check it out on his Facebook page. Uh, if you go to his Facebook page, there's a videos tab where you can find it. Um, it's called like I don't know Monday Blues or something. <laughs> you'll you'll know it when you see it. It's the one that has a bajillion views. Well, what's interesting about that is how Facebook is really dominating the video market these days, and you really don't think of Facebook as a video platform because traditionally it's been text and then it was photo and now we're seeing crazy even myself and i know i think you can kind of relate to that is we're almost seeing the same amount of views on facebook for videos that we are on youtube which is crazy to think that i have three hundred thousand or three hundred fifty thousand subscribers on youtube and on facebook i have maybe fifty thousand followers and that's kind of stretching it because a lot of them aren't active anymore And when I upload a video natively to Facebook, I'm seeing almost the same amount of views as I am on YouTube, which is nuts. Yeah, no, definitely. Because if you had the 350,000 on Facebook, you'd be seeing, uh, what, seven seven times increase in theory, at least. You'd have seven times the number of people. Um, And I mean, I think uh, you and I have talked about this before, but Facebook seems to finally be ready to take the gloves off and really duke it out with Google slash YouTube when it comes to video in general. And YouTube takes such a huge cut from their content creators. I would upwards of what, 40, 45%, 50% now, whatever it is. It's, it's, It's a crazy amount out. Um, so Facebook were to monetize, I, I would imagine a ton of creators would just say, you know what, YouTube, it's been good. It's been a good five-year run um, or whatever, but this new Facebook thing looks like it's really taken off. It's great. Um, now, what freaks me out about Facebook is a couple of years ago, it was amazing as far as sending content out to everybody on your list. Everybody could see it. You didn't have to pay for anything. So is this going to be like a bait and switch where they you know, suck you in and then spit you out and you, you build up, you spend this money building a following, and then the people who are interested in seeing your stuff never actually see your stuff. Well, we're, we're obviously having that issue now with um, Facebook's stupid algorithm. It drives me absolutely crazy. I have 50,000 fans and you have 14,000 fans or something like that. And when you post something to Facebook, it's being seen by what, like 1%, 2% of people of all your 50 or all your, all your followers, which is crazy. And Facebook wants you to actually pay 
to reach the fans that manually have followed you on Facebook, which makes zero. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense because they want to they want to make money. They want you to pay to reach your audience. But from my perspective, from someone who doesn't really make enough money to advertise for every single post, it just drives me nuts. Yeah, and, and even when you do advertise, I mean, you know as well as I do, it it still doesn't go out to like everybody. Oh, of course not. No, I've done I've done a bunch of advertising on Facebook using the boost post thing. And right. even if it reaches 20,000 people, I'll get maybe like 10 or 15 likes, which makes zero sense. Right. And I mean, power of content is a huge part of it because I mean, I've put up stuff that's been just, it's quick, it's short, it's easy, it resonates with the community and people like it and it just organically grows like that. I don't even put any money advertising wise behind it. Other stuff that's more meh, you know, and uh, it just doesn't, doesn't hit the same way. Uh, but I think it's sort of a sweet sauce of having enough great content to offer and offering enough consistent good content that people, you know, be coming back for more and, and it's sort of like this guy is a regular content creator. And uh, yeah, but I mean, it, it, it is interesting. The fa Facebook and video is definitely, definitely, definitely something to watch. I mean, they just introduced that video tab a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. right? And wasn't it just a few weeks ago that it was like, hey, video is actually a, a thing here on YouTube or uh, on Facebook, excuse me, and something that you should consider and think about and look at. But anyway, switching gears, Howard, and this is something you know a lot more about than I do. Uh, Apple, I think it was today, sent out this email announcing the March 9th. 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or Pacific whatever time uh, that they're going to have this Spring Forward or Spring yep, Forward spring event. Spring Forward. Uh, tell me about it. I, you worked for Apple. I don't. I, I honestly, I'm not that in tune with the whole Apple community right now, and even especially the Apple wearables community. What do you think is coming in this event? I, you know, tell the people, please. Well, I think it's it's fairly obvious that we're going to see more information about the Apple Watch, which we saw a few months ago at one of the keynotes, and Tim Cook went on stage. They did this unbelievably beautiful teaser, I guess you can call it, on this Apple Watch that they're coming out with. And honestly, some, one of my coworkers, we were watching it live at the office, and he basically said, this is porn. And it, it was really ama beautifully made how they did this. And then they gave a little bit of detail, and we're slowly starting to get more. And I believe Tim Cook said that it's finally going to be shipping in April. But I'm I'm very torn because even though I'm definitely an Apple fanboy, I'm I'm kind of torn on the whole wearables, especially with the Apple Watch, because there are so many things that I'm I'm not convinced I need a smartwatch, even though I'm going to buy it. There's no question about that. I'm going to buy it even though I don't know if I because, want it or not. Because Apple made it. Of course. But I don't know if I need it. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that I have around my office that I bought because I wanted, not necessarily because I needed it. Right. So if, you, if you're not familiar with the Apple Watch, basically Apple is making a watch to compete with all the other smart watches. And like the other smart watches, it tracks your health, it tracks your fitness, it tracks all these other things. But something that kind of bothers me about the Apple Watch, at least the way they're marketing it, they're, they're throwing in all these gimmicky features, like you can send your heartbeat to your significant other to tell them how you feel, which is incredibly strange and creepy. And they're yeah. not really focusing on at least not right now. I'm sure they will in the future. They're not really focusing on the things that people will actually want to use a smartwatch for, like the health and fitness stuff. Yeah, I mean, when when Steve Jobs was running Apple, how many times did they put out something or promote something that you just sat there and thought, that's a stretch. That's really kind of like a gimmick, you know, like what you just said. Seems kind of gimmicky and, and cheesy and, and dumb. Who wants to sit there and say, "Hey, my heart's beating pretty fast because I'm thinking about you." That's pretty much what it is, and and it didn't happen very often with Steve because I think it was mostly you know this is what we're making, this is what you're going to be using it for, and this is why you need it. And I think Apple's competing with so many other smartwatches now; they need to introduce something else that the others don't have, and unfortunately because of limitations in technology and because of limitations with developers, the only thing they can really introduce are these gimmicky features. Now, I do think there's a lot of potential for smartwatches, not just Apple, but all the other smartwatches. I'm really excited when 
smartwatches start integrating with your smart home devices. So for example, if, you know, if I want to turn on the oven and preheat it, I can just talk into my smartwatch. It connects directly to my smart oven or something, and I can just start preheating the oven or I can turn lights off without grabbing my phone from my pocket or across the room. It's always on me and I can control my whole house. But right now, I just don't think smartwatches are there yet. And surprisingly, I don't think the Apple Watch, at least the face of it, is up to par with some of their other devices in terms of the beauty of the device. I've seen some recent, I think the LG something, one of their new smartwatches, I think looks a little bit better than the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. So what kind of like functionality would you be looking for uh, in one of these smart wearable devices? Or have you seen uh, a, a watch that's either out there or coming out from maybe one of Apple's competitors that you think, wow, this is pretty stinking cool? Well, I don't think right now there are any watch out there or is any watch out there that okay, really right. takes the the crown, whatever the term is. I don't know. I can't think right now. But um, I think this, the Apple Watch and other smartwatches will do everything that I want it to do immediately. I can respond to messages. I can take phone calls. I can look through my photos for whatever reason I would want to do that. It'll do everything that I need it to do. But I think the future will be when it connects to other devices seamlessly, like right, your smart right. devices. But I right. really don't think one will have amazing features that the others don't. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I haven't seen the LG, and I, and like I said, I, I'm just not very in tune with the wearables tech community as a whole, very much at all. So I don't, I, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. It's definitely cool um but i mean how long has google been pushing google glass which is you know essentially compact wearable tech and it's still this like you know where do you see it who's wearing it where's it going what does google see as the future is it a realistic anything is it a realistic solution to anything what is it what's it for well, how are we going to use google it? glass is interesting first of all they completely scrap scraped scrapped Man, I can't think today. They completely got rid of the current uh, revision that they yep. were promoting, that they were selling as the early for the early adopters. And apparently, the new guy who took over—I don't remember his name—basically said, "We're designing this thing completely from scratch to make it a little bit, I guess, updated or advanced or whatever they might do with it." Um, but someone had a very interesting quote recently. I don't remember who it was, but they basically said something like. Your technology shouldn't get in the way of you and the person you're talking to. And I really think Google Glass, at least the current revision, really did that. You had this bulky thing on your face that people were staring at. They weren't sure what it was, and you were staring at it. In my opinion, Google Glass or any other glasses-based wearable should look like glasses. It shouldn't look like this thing that's sticking off of your glass. Yeah, and, and, and I know the people that I ran into who I saw wearing it, it was... Any conversation I have with them was, hey, you've got Google Glass. That's, that looks interesting. What's that? You know, you must be a geek or whatever, you know, and it was just, it, it was that. So, yeah, I think wearables will definitely have a place in the future. I just don't think mm-hmm. right now it's, it's anything special. But, you know, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to wear it. I'm going to see what it does. And I do think developers are really going to make this thing special or completely destroy it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the real question is, is there screen capture software for it so you can do some tutorials on the <laughs> Apple Watch or do you just have to set up your DSLR and shoot it like that? Oh, there you go. Yeah, so and there's just a quick story that I thought was kind of interesting that I noticed uh, and I briefly mentioned to you before. Uh, Web Designer Depot put out an article um, not too long ago, pretty much the other day. On The article is entitled Four Reasons Web Designers Should Play More Video Games. Um, and uh, I, I thought the article was kind of dumb, quite frankly, um, but it did make me think, uh, and it's definitely worth a read. Um, again, I didn't really solidly read through the whole thing. I sort of skimmed it and, and dipped into a few areas that looked interesting to me. Um, but it, it, it reminded me of this whole really interesting idea of, of working. And again, it was something that came up today while I was shooting. Um, so maybe the idea is just fresh in my mind. My client, who, who is a fashion designer here in Philadelphia, 
uh, her mother came out to on the shoot with us today and was helping out as just just extra hands hanging out. She was really cool. She was super nice. Um, it was it was a lot of fun having her there. Um, and one of the things when I was breaking down at the end of the day, she's you know telling me you know wow the way you work is different. It's interesting. You know I really liked your sort of the way you gave direction and the way you talk to everybody. Um, so I started telling her you know when, when I'm working with people, I really try to just I want people to feel easy. I want people to feel happy. I want people to um, feel just good. They know they're doing what's right, even if they're not doing what's right, because eventually they'll run into what's right. At least, you know, in my mind, that's that's the way I'm trying to think about it and approach these ideas instead of sort of demanding these harsh, rigid, you know, do this now, don't deviate from this at all, you know, whatever. Like we're doing creative stuff, have fun with it. A lot of times we run into really great ideas. And I think that's kind of what goes on uh, with stuff like this, um, I mean, I know I, I, I rent space from a, a co-working place here in Philadelphia. And for those of you that aren't aware of what co-working is, co-working is essentially, it's not a Regency office or anything like that where you're just renting a room, but co-working is more like you're renting a desk. And a lot of the spaces are very open and there might be a hundred people in one big room and everybody has their desk, their spot at the desk. Um, and there, you know, there's plenty of room and, and it's a very like, information rich environment where you can stand up and walk to the guy, you know, sitting at that desk right over there who's amazing with SEO. And you say, hey, so and so, I've got this problem. Can you help me? And he says, yeah, I actually need help with this graphics thing. And you end up working together and developing and fostering this amazing relationship and blah, 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 blah. One of the things that this place, it's called Indie Hall uh, for Independence Hall. And it's actually right up the street from the real American. Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence was signed. Um, but Indie Hall is this amazing ecosystem of creativity and all this other stuff. And it's a very laid back environment, a very free environment. You can go, you know, flip on the television or play the Xbox or, you know, they've got like these cardboard cutouts of wrestlers and just, just like dumb, geeky, you know, stupid stuff where you can go and get distracted and, and screw around with stuff all day if you wanted. You know, when the World Cup's on, they've got the World Cup on, when there's different sporting events on. They do that. They have like James Bond movie nights and all this different stuff just to sort of get these people who are running startups and running their web design business and you know graphic design companies and writers and all of this stuff together and just sort of having fun, forgetting about work and things like that. And I've also heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, Howard, but I've heard of major design agencies almost mandating that the people who work at them take you know, a one or two hours, like one or two hours. We're talking a quarter of your workday if you're working an eight-hour day. A quarter of that workday and spending it like play billiards, play foosball, get on the PlayStation, you know, go play ping pong in the hallway. You know, go out and walk the park. I mean, Apple's new campus, right, has all this garden ecosystem that they're building with it just to encourage stuff like this. Um, and it, it seems like a really interesting thing. And, it, and, and, and if creativity, um, I think it was Albert Einstein that said creativity is the residue of time wasted or something like that. Um, so it, it makes sense that these, you know, web designers should play more video games. If that's, if that's sort of a way that you can kick back and relax and, and quote unquote waste time, you know, photographers, web designers, graphic designers, writers, whatever, you need to let go of all that stuff. And I don't really let go of work all that well. Uh, but it's it maybe is something I should look at doing more. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I, I find myself just sitting in front of the computer for hours and hours and hours, and I'm just working and working and working, and I forget to actually stand up or have fun or do something different. And, you know, I, I don't know if everyone's going to um, get a positive effect from playing video games, but I think doing something other than work for maybe half an hour or an hour a day, and we're seeing a lot of companies completely revamp their workspace. I mean, YouTube, if you go to the YouTube office, uh, where is it? San Francisco, somewhere in California, they have a slide that you can just slide down and have fun. Google, you can run around on or skate around on rollerblades. And, you know, it's just so important to have a relaxed, fun work environment because if you're just sitting at your desk or in a cubicle all day, just staring at your monitor, you're going to be depressed. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This would have actually been a better segue if we just kind of went right into this article. But you have to have a little bit of fun. And if you're not having fun sitting at your desk, go walk around or go sit on a couch or just talk to somebody or do something different just to get your mind off your work because it really does help you. I mean, just from a design 
standpoint, there's been so many times I can think of off the top of my head where I've been designing for hours straight and in my mind, what I'm designing looks amazing. I walk <laughs> away for 15 minutes, I come back, I look at it and said, what the heck is this? And it's yeah, happened. Or, or, or your wife walks in and looks over your shoulder and says, what the heck is That's that? That's probably happened as well. But when you just clear your mind and focus on something else, and then you come back, you look at what you were working on, you kind of have this fresh perspective on what it is you're doing. And it sounds crazy. It really does, but it helps a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so yeah, just an interesting article. I just figured I'd bring it up and just mention it. Um, and just the idea behind it, stuff like that just fascinates the living daylights out of me because it's just so steeped in that. What is creativity? How does it work with your mind? Kids, are there like hacks you can hack your mind to make yourself a more creative person? Um, and all that stuff always really, really interesting. Uh, and I guess, Howard, that brings us to the big thing this week, and that is the good old net neutrality ruling. Um, what are your thoughts on it? What do you, I mean, do you want to just give us a breakdown of what happened? And Yeah, so, well, I, I haven't done a lot of research. Like, I haven't read the, the bills that are being passed. I just kind of know what the internet is reporting, which is probably kind of scary in some ways. But what I do know, or at least what I hope I know, is that what was passed today, actually two things were passed, but the big thing that was passed, the net neutrality thing, keeps the internet basically as it is. It keeps it open. It keeps big companies like Comcast from putting restrictions on us. For, for The way I understand it, if it did not pass and companies like Comcast had more control over the internet, it would basically allow, and correct me if I'm wrong, because again, I'm not 100% familiar with all this. It would basically allow companies like Netflix to pay to be in a fast lane. So Netflix would go very quickly and it would stream the way it has been. But someone like myself, if I wanted my website, iceflowstudios.com to be accessible by everybody and accessible at the same speed, I would either have to pay up or, you know, tough luck. Um, so in my eyes, the ruling today is hopefully a positive thing. And it just keeps the internet open. It keeps it as it is. It keeps everyone kind of on the same level. But of course, you know, there's like you're probably going to talk about whenever the government has control over every, anything, you really never know where they're going to take it. But at least at the moment, I think it's a very good ruling. Yeah, I mean, I on the face of it, I agree. Um, it's It's a really tough thing because... We hate the cable companies, right? Like, <laughs> yes, we I do. mean, I, 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 like you just look at customer satisfaction ratings and the Comcast, Time Warner Cable, they're like dead, like literally dead last. I'm pretty sure they're dead last. You know what I mean? People hate the cable companies and they're, we feel like they're screwing us. And they are. I mean, there was just yesterday or the day before an article came out. Comcast is based right here out of Philadelphia. Comcast made $68 billion last year. To give you an idea of how much $1 billion, the number $1 billion is, there are, uh, I think, like three and a half million seconds in each day or something like that. Uh, or, or I forget what it is, whatever it is, it takes 32 years before you get to a billion seconds. So if you live to be like 95, you only live about 3 billion seconds. Comcast made $68 billion last year. That's a crazy huge amount of money. That is a ridiculous, that's enough money to buy virtually every professional sports franchise in the United States and still have money left over. You can start buying EPL or, or Barclays Premier League soccer slash football, sorry, uh, teams <laughs> and, and probably still have money left after that. It's a ridiculously huge amount of money. So we hate the cable companies. We feel like they're screwing us because to a large extent they are. So of course, you know, any kind of anything that's going to leave control of anything that we feel is sacred or good to us in their hands, we're probably going to look at it as an inherently bad thing because we look at the cable companies and we say they've fouled up what they have already and for all intents and purposes they're charging companies like like you said Netflix more money and it's just a big money grab they want to make more money which I don't really have a problem with wanting to make more money 
Um, but you know, again, you're dealing with a company that you already feel is kind of screwed the pooch a little bit and they're just looking for another money grab. So there's that. Then on the other hand, like you said, personally, I'm a very like free market kind of guy. I don't want the government meddling in anything. My personal view is when the government meddles in something, they screw it up. It might take them 10 years. It might take them 50 years. They foul it up. They started Social Security in the new, you know, the whole New Deal, FDR ushered in, you know, right there through uh, World War II. And what was that, 65, 70 years ago? And we're on the fast track to just losing out on Social Security altogether. The likelihood is I'll pay into Social Security my whole life. Howard, you, Michelle, You'll pay into it your whole lives, but by the time we go to retire or hit retirement age, there probably won't be Social Security anymore. It's it's not even a sustainable model, um, and you know it's it's been a big faux sort of fraud all of these these years anyway. More money is being taken out than ever is being put in, and we wonder why we're trillions of dollars in debt nationally. But you know I'm not going to get too political here. But the fact is, like the government sets stuff up like this. And they, they foul it up. The war on drugs has been going on for 30 years, and we still haven't solved it, right? They get involved. They screw stuff up. Um, so that, so it, it's a very difficult, you know, what side am I on? But now that we've sort of just kind of given, like, face value, let me just read. I found uh, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase some of this. Um, a Reddit user who sort of explains this net neutrality thing. What is it? What does it mean to me? All of that. Uh, and they say this, uh, the basic principle of net neutrality is that access to all websites and web services should be equal and that anyone can start their own website slash service and make it accessible to anyone with internet access, just like any other website or service. Without net neutrality, your internet service provider, your ISP, uh, could arbitrarily block, uh, by that way, uh, your ISP would be Comcast, Time Warner Cable, um, you know, Verizon Fios, any of these kind of services, could arbitrarily block whatever websites it didn't want you to access, for instance. Uh, it would perhaps block you from accessing a competitor's website, something like that. It could also mean your, your internet service provider purposefully degrades access to certain websites or services and or forces you to pay extra money just to gain access to certain websites or services. For instance, imagine paying an extra five dollars a month to your service provider uh, just because you want access to a website like reddit or youtube or hulu or something like that uh, in the united states many homes have only one broadband internet service provider to choose from for instance where i live i have comcast and that's it i have no other options mm -hmm. i've talked you know i like verizon hey can i get fios here nope we just haven't run the line we don't have access there we don't have rights to it right it's it's monopolized uh, many homes have only one broadband internet service provider to choose from, for instance, their local telephone company. Some people are fortunate enough to have two providers, maybe a telephone and a cable company, or in very rare cases, three providers, telephone, cable, and maybe an independent fiber company. Uh, basically, though, there's hardly any competition, which means that if one service provider starts violating the principles of net neutrality, that is blocking you, slowing your service down, anything like that, many customers are completely powerless since they have such a limited or perhaps no alternative selection for ISPs. Um, and this really monopolies in business from an economic standpoint are a bad, bad, bad thing because just imagine if you own 100% of the marketplace, you can do whatever the heck you want. I mean like we were talking about last week about YouTube and, and the way they're dealing with the sponsorship stuff. They YouTube rules the online video marketplace. If you want people to see your content, you put it on freaking YouTube. Uh, and with that, YouTube says, you know what? We're going to take 45% of the ad revenues. You can't sit there and say, no, I think like 8% or 10% is a more fair number. You're raking in money hand over fist and I'm doing all the work. You know what I mean? Um, but YouTube just says, hey, tough. You know, use us or go go to Vimeo, in which case you're like, well, well, YouTube. Um, but uh, continuing on, uh, additional thoughts about net neutrality. Uh, would a service provider like Comcast or Time Warner be able to force a content provider like YouTube or Netflix to pay for direct sharing or downloading for its users? Um, and this is one of the other things that this net neutrality ruling is supposed to prevent, that it, Netflix shouldn't be able to go to something, uh, to a company like Comcast and say, hey, we're going to pay you $700 million to ensure that our bajillion petabytes of bandwidth get handled quickly with priority. When somebody loads up that you know movie on the Civil War, it's going to boom, download right when they want it to as quickly as possible. And that brings up another issue is if 
if net neutrality or this bill did not pass and Comcast would require YouTube or whoever it might be to pay extra to get their users downloading things, obviously YouTube and Google would be out a lot of money for that. So who would they take that out on? Well, they might take it out on you and me. Right now, Mm -hmm. I think they take 45% of our YouTube revenue. Well, if that passed, well, I guess that might go up to 65% because they need to make up for that money that they're losing paying Comcast. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. And what, you know, what people are saying is something like that would essentially split the web into this fast lane and the slow lane and and the huge companies that can afford it kind of dominate the fast lane so of course it's going to it's going to begin to monopolize even those companies right because you and I if we were to start Tutflix or something <laughs> you know what i mean we just, we couldn't afford 700 million dollars as this huge massive contract to Comcast or Time Warner to ensure that we're getting the cream of the crop we're getting the creme de la creme when it comes to we want the fast lane we want uninterrupted, unadulterated service to our customers. Yeah, so, so. I guess on, on the face, like you mentioned, I think it's a good thing. Um, but of course, you never know with the governments. Hopefully they don't screw this up, but I guess time will tell. I get the question for you, because I know you hate government control over everything. If you had to pick right now whether you were going to pass net neutrality or not pass it, I guess, which would you choose? Uh, I would, well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot. It's it's a very difficult question. I can give you an answer though. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult question. And the reason is I'm going to preface my answer with this right now, the chairman of the FCC, uh, what's his name? Tom Tom Wheeler, Tom Wheeler. Mm -hmm. He used to be one of the foremost head of the cable company lobbyists in Washington, influencing the government to write and create legislature that would be favorable to the cable companies, paying them money. In fact, the only company, or the only group that paid the government more money than Comcast was a defense contractor. Comcast was number two. So we have like the war effort and then cable, right? So Tom Wheeler is at the head of all of that. And Obama nominated, signed, whatever, elected him to be head of this this committee, this this FCC. Uh, well, I guess the FCC is more than a committee, right? So, so this guy is running the FCC, which is now the group that's going to ensure that we have net neutrality. To me, that looks like a big conflict of interest. So while we're looking at this as some big salvation, is it? Or is it just... The cable companies taking over under the guise of government because the brand of cable companies is so shot, right? We hate cable companies, but there's a big cable company lobbyist who's at the head of all of this. So what does that say? You know what I mean? But to answer your question, I would prefer the cable companies be in charge of it. And here's why. Cable companies are a private company. Cable companies don't have an army. Cable companies can't restrict things to the point where they could throw you in prison. Uh, cable companies can't restrict you to the point where they can garnish your wages. Cable companies have far less power. And at the end of the day, you can always, if you absolutely have to, call Comcast and say, cancel everything. I, I will live in the dark ages. I will live without internet or whatever because I can't afford it. I can't do that. And I, I, I just, you don't, we look at it now and we say, hey, Everywhere, and, and all you have to do is look at the articles. Net neutrality has saved the web. Net neutrality has saved this. Net neutrality has done. Well, you know, that's, that's kind of an unfair portrayal. You know what I mean? Because in your mind it has, but has it really? Because we haven't seen the end of the story yet. We don't know what's going to happen. We can look at the way government has handled things before, and we can see that, generally speaking, not so good, right? Well, we can also um, look at the way uh, cable companies have handled things. No, so, right, and, and you're right. And that right. scares me. That scares me a lot because – on the face, it does seem that if Comcast or whoever, we keep beating up on Comcast because they're terrible, but it does seem that if Comcast were to take over and I'm on Comcast right now, there's a very good chance that my business could just disappear almost overnight. Right. Well, I mean, there's, 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 there's plenty of adapting that's going to have to happen um, either way. I think it's just part of business. You have to grow and adapt. I mean, cable companies for a long time now have been able to charge money for different plans for television 
and we've been glad to pay up for more premium channels. Now, how they would ever divvy the web up if, if it were to come to do I like do I like the idea of that? No, I hate the idea of that. You know what I mean? I want to see the web stay exactly how it is. I want no regulation. I don't want the cable companies to do it. I don't want the government to do it. Uh, but I can at least understand it when a cable company does it because they want to make more money. I hate that it's just this arbitrary thing where they don't they don't need to make more money. They're just sucking more money out of people who they know are going to pay. And I think that is inherently unfair. I'm not arguing that. It's just almost always when given the choice, I prefer the private sector run something to the public sector. Now, it, what I'm saying that knowing that it's essentially the private sector that's moved into the public sector because the chairman of the FCC was doing all of the, the bidding for these cable companies when it came to the government before. So I, you know what I mean? Like I, I, it's, I, I hate them both. I hate them both. But, but in my mind, my principle is telling me you have to prefer the private, the private enterprise to the public enterprise of the government. They foul stuff up far more than a private enterprise ever can. Is it annoying? Is it unfair? Does it suck what the cable companies would do from a privatized, private business oppressing you, Howard, trying to run your business and me trying to run my business? Absolutely. But we can adapt to that. How do you adapt to, you know, if, if the FCC decides to come up with a code of Internet Decency Act or something where you're actually limited from putting things online? You know, how, how does I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, what do we do when something like that comes up when we want to put something up that they decide isn't right when they start to tighten the news that way? Because right now, again, it looks great. But there's always there's always another shoe that drops. There's always another shoe that drops. I mean, you have to be naive and blind to history to not think that there's there could there's something else that that they're gonna do. And to me, like the the semi conspiratorial side of me looks at this and says this is a just a essentially a power grab by the FCC because again they know that the cable company reputation is in the crapper. And they can swoop in and say, hey, American public, we're going to save the day and protect you guys from these evil cable companies, which granted, they are evil. Um, we're going to save you from these by ensuring all of this freedom. Well, you know, you haven't signed a contract. That's a verbal agreement, you know. And I think almost everybody feels like even the, by the government, they've been screwed now and again. You know, I thought I had a verbal agreement for this, oh, government. And now you're, you know, backtracking or you're not living up to your end of the deal. So, you know, I hate that this is all the product of money, essentially. Um, and it's, you know, it, it worked so well, right? I mean, before these internet marketers get in and screw stuff up, I mean, YouTube was incredible when it was a personal collection of content creators who are interested in creating great content and sharing it and you didn't have to worry about all this other junk all this jargon and you know i can bemoan the past forever and i'm sure you feel you know the same way about the youtube stuff and even facebook um you know it's just it becomes so commercialized and so you know we have people's eyeballs let's sell them stuff let's sell them stuff let's sell them stuff let's sell them stuff um but you know i mean I don't know. I, I, I hate both sides of it, but when push comes to shove, I got to stick with the private side of things because um, I just feel like at the end of the day, they can exert – the government's exerting less control now, but the government has the capacity to exert far more control than the cable companies ever could privately. Yeah. Now, with that being said, I understand they're spending a ton of money lobbying, and they're essentially exerting public – control by influencing the government via their lobbyists so it's you know it's like do you want evil or do you want really evil <laughs> i want neither <laughs> i want good yeah i would prefer neither either um but you know in, in most cases i would prefer private but when you're dealing with the cable companies i've been with so many of them and all of them have completely screwed me over and i'm just you know like i i do agree with you that the government does have the capacity to you know, flip a switch and completely screw up this whole entire thing. But I'm really hoping, and I have nothing to back this up, but I'm really hoping they've actually listened to what the American people want for once and are saying, you know what? They want an open internet. They want unrestricted access. We'll give them this. But, you know, it is, it, like, I can agree with you. It's very scary that at any moment they can say, yeah, you know what? I take that back. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I agree. And hey, if it works and if they manage to keep it and they keep it open, 
more power to them. I will, I will gladly eat crow on this one. You know what I mean? Because just like you, I want it to freaking stay open. I don't want to have to pay for channels. I don't want to have to worry about breaking down the internet into channels. I just don't, I don't want to have to think about that stuff. You know, I pay for my, my, the data rate, essentially. I don't want to be limited to a certain number of gigabytes or terabytes a month. I don't want to be limited to a certain speed, depending on the website that I'm on. And I don't want to be limited to the, the website entirely that I can even go to. I don't want any of that. The web should be this free, open network that you can use to explore and to learn and to put your ideas out there and, and share your creations with everybody and anybody. Yeah, I agree. Um, so if you're listening to this and you have your thoughts, you can always tweet at us. I'm at Iceflow Studios. Nathaniel is at Tutvid. You can use the hashtag WeGeeks. Mm-hmm. At least I support an open internet. I mean, Nathaniel, you support an open internet as well, just in different ways. But you know yeah, what? I think, I think, I think, we, I think it's, it's just, you know, we, we both have the concerns about it and we have, I think we have the same concerns, but it's sort of a different way of going about it. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, totally. But you know what else is free? Gift cards. And we're actually going to be giving away a $25 gift card every single podcast to the comment or I guess the question that we think is deemable of a $25 Amazon or iTunes gift card. If you're in the U.S. What was that? Your choice. Well, well, if you're in, in the U.S., you can get an iTunes gift card. Because we can't, right. if we have an iTunes, if we have a U.S. iTunes account, we cannot send international gift cards. Um, gotcha. If you're outside of the U.S., you're stuck with Amazon, or I guess we can PayPal you some money. I don't know, whatever. So, starting off with the questions this week, we have, and th- then we'll choose, we'll choose the best question at the end. We have you Harun ninety four from Twitter. Hey, at Iceflow Studios, I'm looking to buy a decent level, decent entry level DSLR. What are your top three recommendations? You have the T5i, the X100S, the D5500, or three. <laughs> I don't, I'm not familiar with all these weird names. This, gonna, this gonna, is just the, the show notes Howard's reading that I, that I made. The Canon <laughs> T5i, the Fuji X100S, or the Nikon D5500. <laughs> Were those your recommendations? Or, Yes. Oh, okay. That, you that take was this not question. Part of the original, go for it. That was not part of the original tweet. <laughs> I was just making some notes when I was thinking oh, well, about it. <laughs> I just ruined it. No, no, no. You made it better. Um, so I, I'm assuming you want me to take this one? Um, I don't have very much. I use a Canon 6D. It's not very entry level. My first cam- camera it's, was... It's pretty entry level. Now, you can get a 60 for about 700 bucks. That's true. My first camera was the Canon T1i. Then I went to the 7D and then the 6D... Uh, but I've been very limited to the scope of my cameras, so I'm going to throw it over to you because you're a photographer. I don't do much of that. Yeah, and I don't, it's, uh, there's not really much to say about it. And number one, focusing on the camera isn't really the right thing. You want to focus on your lenses. That being said, I wouldn't just limit myself to a true DSLR because I throw in the Fuji X100S, uh, which is a mirrorless camera. But my number one recommendation, and I recommended it for years, is the T-Series. You just heard Can- uh, Canon Howard say that he had the T1i and the T3i I was recommending for years. But the T5i is now, the price is down enough that I would definitely consider it an entry-level uh, DSLR. T5i, definitely a great camera. Spend the money just on the body and then look for the 50mm f1.8 lens and learn how to shoot with a, you know, a, a fixed focal length prime lens um, and learn about aperture, learn about aperture, learn about aperture. Highly recommend it. Uh, so that'd be my number one. Uh, my number two would be the Fuji X100S. Now the X100S, uh, I, I believe it does not have a removable lens, just a fixed 23 millimeter lens, but sometimes limitation is a good thing. It forces you to be a little bit more creative, and th- these little mirrorless cameras are amazing. Um, X100S is about 900 bucks now. There's a newer version called the X100T, which is, I believe, 1100 or so. If you absolutely want interchangeable lenses, you can get the X-T1, the Fuji X-T1, which is also the Fuji mirrorless camera. Um, but you have the interchangeable lenses. It's an amazing little camera system. Fuji has some really great stuff. Um, there are days when I contemplate selling all my Canon gear and going right to Fuji, and there are photographers. Um, there's a guy over in South Africa called Et Vetter, I believe is his name, who does a bunch of wedding photography, and all he uses are these Fuji X-T1s, uh, and he gets great stuff. I mean, great. 
you would never know that it's a mirrorless camera. It's amazing stuff. Uh, and then after that, the the new, it's pretty new, the Nikon D5500 is a great camera, a great competitive price. I think it's like 800 bucks. Um, and it's an icon. So, you know, you get a, you got a Canon option here and an icon option here. And I've gone back and forth on Canon and Nikon enough times. Um, so yeah, I mean, those would be the three cameras that I recommend looking into, um, and as like a fourth option, the D3300, it's a little bit older version, uh, of a, of an entry level Nikon DSLR. Uh, but yeah, I would look at them and then spend some time looking at lenses, particularly fixed focal length, that meaning it doesn't have a zoom, fixed focal length lenses that come in under 200 bucks. Canon and Nikon both have a couple decent ones, a 35 millimeter, 50 millimeter, things like that. Interesting to look at and uh, not very expensive to get into. So still definitely in that entry level price point. Awesome. So I hope that answers your question. You Haroon 94. Next question we have is from Marie from Twitter. I'm starting a local business and have built a website. How would you suggest marketing the business and building a client base for my website? What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, it all depends on what you're selling or the service you're offering. Are you selling a good or are you offering a service? That would be number one. Um, but typically when you say you're starting a local business, that would lead me to, um, believe that you're interested in local clients as opposed to a product that you're selling online all over the place. Uh, one of the best ways I think to market your business relatively quickly locally is by starting a blog and doing what I call geotargeting. Um, and that is basically you write a blog and then you write about local issues you, and, and you use, geographical location markers in the title and in the text of your blog post, right? So around here, it would be, you know, Philadelphia, Philadelphia's own Comcast made $68 billion. What is the, you know, King of Prussia accountant's take on that? You know what I mean? So you sort of hit the, the little suburb of King of Prussia outside of Philadelphia and also Philadelphia. And then you write this blog post about something very current, uh, so that, that would definitely be the number one thing I would press, um, write, write blog posts that have to do with local things, write blog posts that ask local people questions. Don't spend all of your time on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or blogging and Howard, I'm sure you can back this up. Don't spend the time just selling, 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 give people something for free, give them information, give them opinion, hire somebody to shoot video of you or buy a decent microphone and shoot your own video, buy a decent DSLR, capture some video, figure out how to do it. It will do amazing things uh, for your company. And after that, I would say if you're ready to spend some money on marketing, either hire an SEO person who knows how to work Google AdWords or try to learn some of it yourself and just spend a very little bit of money on either Facebook or Google AdWords uh, words. But also, that's just from a very geeky web-only standpoint. You really can't beat also going out and getting involved in local, you know, if you're selling knitted products, find the crochet club, you know, and the club of, you know, cold old ladies, um, you know, places where you know you're going to have customers and things like that. And just start to get your name out there, get out there, write people emails, send local magazines, photos and story snippets. Um, and this goes back to having strong graphic design work, strong photography, send stuff these magazines want to publish. Um, there's not very much competition when it comes to this stuff. If you get a half decent photographer and a half decent copywriter, you're going to be able to almost essentially say, you know what, I'm getting this published in that magazine because these editors who write these magazines, they're looking for great content. And if you make their job easy and send them content, the likelihood is they're going to take it and they're going to publish it. Yeah, my best advice, I don't have very much advice, but my advice to you would be to, if you want to sell, don't sell, which sounds nuts. But like Nathaniel said, if you're giving away something for free, it's going to link or it's going to lead someone to what you're selling, whether you're writing blog yep. posts or you're giving away a sample of something. You, you know, you go to a mall, you're walking around the food court, there's people throwing samples of Chinese food at you. They're just throwing them in your face somebody's going to eat that food, say, oh, you know what? It's pretty good. Let me go buy something. So again, it sounds crazy, but if you want to sell, don't sell. If I go to your website and all, all I see is buy this, buy that, buy this, buy that, and you're not giving me anything to kind of tip my dip my toes in the water, 
I'm not going to buy anything from you. I kind of want to see what you're all about. I want to try a few things here and there, and then I'll make my decision whether or not I'm going to buy. Yeah, I mean, the web's personal, so be personal, yeah. right? I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, just like you just said, I, I, I want to know a little bit about you. I want to I know who you are kind of thing. So I'll read the next question here from Picture Monk. I believe this is Twitter. Twitter, yep. Uh, what do you think are the best geeky ways to promote your YouTube channel or website? Geeky versus traditional means of promotion. Hashtag we geeks. Mm, geeky versus traditional. Geeky versus – I'm not sure what constitutes a geeky way of promoting something, but from my experience, the best way or the way, of, the way I have promoted my YouTube channel – it sounds crazy, but you know, free content. That's the way I've been doing it. I post my stuff all over the place, obviously on Twitter, on Facebook, on forums. I try to get people involved as much as I can, people leaving comments, asking people to share my stuff. But it hasn't, I wouldn't necessarily think it's geeky, it's just more traditional. Maybe there is a geeky way, maybe I haven't thought of it. It's geek traditional, maybe. Hmm. Because I don't know that Twitter's old enough to be traditional at all. No, not yet. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. Geeky promotion, uh, guest blogging, I would say, is a good way to promote stuff. Uh, especially if you have your own website. Guest blogging is an amazing SEO tool um, as far as getting a strong backlink. Especially if you can get onto a really, really good and really well-ranked website. It can do wonders for your site. Uh, so that would be that'd be my number one thing is try to try to get onto a, a good website. And again, all this stuff, really everything that with the stuff we talked about with starting a local business and, and, and marketing and building your local client base and this geeky versus traditional means of promotion, this promotional material, whether or not it's an ad you're creating or a guest blog post that you're pitching to another blog, you need to create quality content. Like it's gotta be good stuff. Don't just show it to your mom or your best friend who's gonna patronize you and say, oh, it's amazing, it's great, yeah, send it in. You need a reality check. Give it to somebody, let yourself get beat up. Yeah, before the gold becomes pure, it's melted. You know, you gotta pass through the flames uh, if you want to be that refined gold coming out of the other end. And it stinks, you know, it hurts everything but you need to create great content. So geeky content, uh, I, I, yeah, I would say guest blogging. Guest blogging and memes on social media if you're creative enough to create good memes um, that are a little bit different. Memes, when, when, I, when I say memes, I guess not memes, but like uh, informational images. You know what I mean? Uh, whether it's a guy holding a card saying simple design is beautiful design and that's what you post to a... A, a beautiful looking set of keyboards, shortcut, you know, digital virtual keyboard wallpapers, right? Uh, that that have all of Photoshop's hotkeys on them or something. I remember when um, you shared that and went crazy right, viral. Right, exactly. And it's, so, it's it's a lot about what's shareable. If, you, if you're going to post something on Facebook or Twitter and you want it to go viral, you want people to share it, ask yourself if someone else posted that, would I share it? And how quickly, yeah. quickly would I share it? Why would I share it? And if I wouldn't share it, what will make me share it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how, how will it sort of, will it make my friends respond to it? Will I, would you post some horrible looking, horrific graphic on your own Facebook timeline? Like that reflects on you as a person. Likelihood is if you have any sense of design and the way people think about you, you're probably not going to. So give people stuff that they want to share that looks beautiful, that's easy to share, that makes other people look like they're important. That makes, you know, if, if I post something on my wall, I want my friends to look at it and think, wow, this Nathaniel guy, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's, he's in the loop. You know what I mean? All of that kind of stuff. And it, it, it's, it is stupid on one level, but it's, it's something that goes through people's minds. If not, immediately it's it's definitely a subconscious subliminal thing that they don't realize is going on if it's beautiful and you think it's going to resound you're probably going to share it i mean take for just what we let off the show talking about the gary vaynerchuk monday blues thing everybody has seen somebody who complains about the monday blues and is whining and moaning about that um and he just did this little short sweet to the point video short sweet to the point and is applicable are, are definitely geeky ways to create stuff that's that shareable content. Um, so yeah, shareable content and guest blogging, I guess that would be our answer for a geeky versus traditional means of promotion. And dresses that may or may not be blue and black. 
And dresses that may, and llama races. <laughs> and llama chases. I, I, don't even, I don't even know what's going on with that stuff. I just, an hour and a half ago, all this crap started exploding. Well, you were out doing actual on. work. Yeah. While we right, were sitting at home watching police chase llamas throughout Phoenix. Exactly. So, so all right. So last, last question here. Uh, and I don't know if this is going to be a question I have to answer. I, I have zero idea about this. So <laughs> if you know, it's all yours. Rob from Facebook asks, my question, as a guy who has just started photography and got some great shot shots so far, there's a solar eclipse very soon on the 20th of March 2015, and I would like to photograph it to get a great shot. How do I do it, and what will I need? Canon 550D with a 50 millimeter, 18 to 55 millimeter, which is a horrible lens, by the way. Throw that thing out. Uh, a 55 to 250 millimeter and a 70 to 300 millimeter lenses. Um... Well, the, 50, the 55D is a crop sensor lens, which means that your 300 millimeter lens, your 70 to 300 that is, which is a variable aperture, I believe at 300 millimeters, it's going to be f5.6, which you would think is terrible for shooting at night, but it actually isn't terrible for shooting an eclipse because when you're shooting an eclipse, um, the moon or the sun going around the moon or reflecting off the moon or whatever, I always mix up solar and lunar eclipses, there's a lot of light up there. So you really don't have to shoot or expose or, or worry about, you know, oh, I'm shooting at f5.6. You could probably shoot at like f8 and still have great light. Now, I'm assuming that you, you have an understanding of aperture and shutter speed. If not, go to Digital Photography School online and they have some free articles on how shutter speed and aperture and ISO all work together. Here's what I would do. Take the 550D, get yourself a good rock-solid tripod, maybe a sandbag or two to weigh it down, put the 70 300 millimeter lens on it, zoom it all the way into 300 millimeters. It's going to be more like almost a 450, 470 millimeter lens on the crop sensor. Um, you're not going to have the sharpness of a full sensor, sadly, but I would start it at f5.6, maybe stop it all the way up to f8, and buy yourself a remote shutter. Uh, I don't know if the 550, though, has a space for a remote shutter, but Canon has some wireless remote shutters um, that should work with the camera. So I buy myself a remote shutter and go out before the solar eclipse ever gets to you and shoot the moon or shoot the stars. Figure out what uh, exposure works well. If you shoot at F, let's say F14 and um, expose for four seconds, maybe go to bulb mode and just hold down your remote shutter for four seconds and see what that is. Usually F14 at about four, uh, four second exposure is a pretty good nighttime exposure for stars. Um, the other thing you're going to want to do is probably go into manual focus and focus on infinity. So twist your uh, focus ring all the way to infinity, something important to think about. But I would get out for sure a few nights before the solar eclipse and demo on the moon. If the moon's out, demo on the moon for sure. If not, uh, see if you can get some stars or something like that. And what you're looking for is you want to make sure that you're getting detail on the surface of the moon because the worst thing it would be to shoot the solar eclipse and just have a glowing ball of circle, you know, a glowing circly ball of light in the sky because that's just, you know, create a black document in Photoshop and paint a, you know, get a 50 pixel rounded soft edge brush and say, hey, I shot the solar eclipse. That'll be my next so, tutorial, by the way. <laughs> right, exactly. So you don't want, you don't want that. So that's where it's important to get out and play with your camera. If it's too bright, it, it probably I would I would probably leave my aperture at about f14 um, but just start backing the shutter speed off or increase the shutter speed depending on what you need if you need more light slow it down maybe go to six second shutter or six second exposure excuse me if you need less light go to a 1.3 second exposure you know try things like that and just have fun with it but I definitely the 550d on the 550d I would take that 300 millimeter lens in a heartbeat um, and uh, go ahead and focus in on the moon and see what you can get Sweet, sounds good. I have, I, I, when it comes to photography, I am just completely clueless. clueless. I know how to point the camera, I know how to shoot. That's about it. I kind of have a basic it, understanding of how to shoot in manual aperture, f-stop, and all that fun stuff. But put you, put it in the p, the professional mode, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> automatic for life. No, not really. Don't use automatic. Yeah. So, uh, the winner this week. Who are you feeling? Which question are you feeling? I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling, I'll leave it up to you to make the final decision, but I'm kind of feeling Picture Monk. Yeah, I think uh, that was, an, it was an interesting question. Yeah, I think it was a good question. So Picture Monk, I will get in contact with you. Or, no, no, you're going to get in contact. I'll give you three days. You're going to get in contact with me to make sure you actually listen to the podcast. Uh, send me a tweet. I do know who you are. I know what your profile picture looks like, and we'll be in touch, and we'll give you a $25 either Amazon or iTunes gift card. 
And that will just about do it for the episode number three of the We Geeks podcast. We will be back next week, same time, same place. And we are now on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. And we're on on Stitcher. I didn't even know that was a thing until this week. And we're, of course, on WeGeeksPodcast.com. We're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash WeGeeks. We still don't have any backers yet or any patrons yet, so you can be the first one and you can get things like access to our Patreon-only feed so you can ask us personal questions or you can get your name shouted out in an episode or post on our website, little things like that. Or you can, you know, if you don't care about any of that stuff, you can just help out the show and make sure we keep doing it. Yeah, so that's that's it. And then again, the episode was brought to you by Squarespace. Yep, thank you so much, Squarespace. WeGeeksPodcast.com, made on Squarespace. And that's pretty much it. Save 10% with coupon code WeGeeks. And make sure to s- submit questions. Twitter, yeah. Facebook, all the things. Twitter, Facebook, Google+. People still for use those it. Of us, for, you, for those of us that use Google+. If you submit a question to me on Google+, I will instantly... No, I can't do that. You might, you might immediately win the prize. Yeah, I was going to say that. that, but no, I can't, I, can't, <laughs> I can't promise things and not deliver. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's it. Episode number three. We'll see you guys next week. We're out.